The record button has been pressed, so it is time for... Joel's Finding the Flow. Like, real philosophical sort of discussions. You know when people get high? <laughs> it's pure Joel. Don't count your fans before they hit. <laughs> but... We hit a flow in the conversation. Um, I think I'm... Open I mean, your mind head. with... I think I'm gonna hit. Finding the Flow with Joel Franklin. Hello, everybody. So it has been a long, long, long hiatus since I have done one of these podcasts. Um, but I have, uh, well, I guess during this whole long period, I, I've been pretty busy. I've had my third child win. And uh, so, you know, at some point it just got to the point where it was just too much. And uh, something had to give. And I think... Um, the podcast thing was uh, had to take a hiatus, but I find that I'm gonna be. I think I'm maybe potentially gonna be able to keep this up again. I don't really know, but no promises. But I uh, have hopes. And the thing that keeps motivating me is that I am very interested in in trying to um, get conversations and interviews with so many people around this community here that have their own unique ways of being interesting, whether it be all these people that have had long lives um, that have uh, and are choosing their retirement here, um, which is today's guest, which is Doris Sachs, who is a 102-year-old woman. I mean, just saying that, she, you know, I, I mean, there's, you know, nothing really... Like, I, I, I was the first to say, like, okay, 100, 100 years old, you know, that's just a number. But, um, you know, not many people get that, make it that long. And, uh, and really, you know, it brings first to my mind how far back a person goes, you know, if they've lived that long. And so Doris, uh, you know, was alive during the World War One, which is, for most of our cases, you know, long, long ago history. But I mean, just imagine there's people still around today that um, that lived in those times, and what she has lived through, and now the times that we live in. So you know, obviously, it's uh, it's very interesting. And then just to hit the hundred mark, you know, it's 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 a cool thing. It's um, it's very very um, significant to just hit that 100 and she's hit 102 and i don't know from my from my perspective i i just don't i don't think she's going anywhere you know so so i was uh very motivated to to get going and she was on the top of my list as one of the people in the community that i wanted to um have an interview with or i like to call it conversation i don't know um i uh this whole this whole medium of podcasting, I tend to try to be as uh, free as I can, and try to try to do do thing do just whatever comes naturally. You know, hence the name "Finding the Flow." You know, just finding the flow in conversation in any way whatsoever is is interesting. 
it's funny. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you got some flow going on, you know, I find that I could listen to it. Anything. Yeah. So, so anyways, uh, a shout out to all, all my friends out there that all, all my for, former podcast mates, um, I'd love to, to get back at it, you know, but I also know that, I mean, I've been also having a hard time even listening to podcasts or keeping up with all that, but I, I do, I find the time. Um, I'm up to date with Dan. Uh, I, I think I've heard some of the latest from Scott, you know, that was a while ago. And then, then Chris fell off the face of this planet when he, uh, became a, became a teacher up in Connecticut. And I still haven't seen Chris since he's been in Connecticut, even though we're only a few less than an hour, probably an hour away from each other, hour 15. Um, so either way, I got to do that. So I hope that this is the beginning of a new series of, of interviews for you to all enjoy in your earbuds or whatever other form you might want to listen to this to. All right, so without further ado, my interview with Doris Sachs. In the same language, understanding we, each other. That's right. We are understanding each other. We do talk the same language. We have the possibility of having a conversation because of that. Well, it's amazing how many times we who speak the same language and think we're discussing the same thing actually <laughs> don't understand each, each other, other at all at all yeah so really that is the trick how do i um how do we talk together and understand each other maybe that's part of being a real conversational all right tell me the topic tell me the purpose eh, top no topic the topic is doris Sachs, i guess you could say um or basically whatever you know um so the very interesting part of doris that i mean just start off with um is that you are we were born in what year in 1914 what was your birthday you just had it yes it was uh it was march 16th legally yep. march 13th Actually, actually, interesting. When I, when I went back to the library in Manhattan and checked to see on what day did Purim fall in 1914, I was certain of the year in which I was born, but not the day. But my mother had told me that I was born on Friday. Um, on the eve of the Sabbath, the day after Purim, which was called Shushan Purim. And uh, I was able to find the holiday Purim on the calendar. And uh, from that, I deduced that I was born on Friday, uh-huh. The thirteenth, the thirteenth of March, erev, erev Shabbos, uh-huh. which meant the day before the Sabbath, on in uh, in uh, nineteen fourteen, and uh, and so I I knew that my true birth date was Friday, March thirteenth, 
So nineteen fourteen. So you when do you celebrate your birthday then? But legally when yeah, we, you're on the we came to the United States. Yes. I was born in Bialystok, Poland. Poland. At that time. Mm-hmm. It had been Russia. Mm-hmm. And then it became Poland. And within I, your lifetime? I'm sorry? Within your lifetime? It changed yes, countries? I think so. Okay. Uh, but, um. Yeah, I do remember hearing, like, in World War One, Russia was right at the border of Germany, right? And I know that during so the that war, uh, it changed hands a number of times, and they were different. Uh, soldiers of different ethnic backgrounds uh-huh. taking over the country. Yes. And it was in a constant state of militancy and flux. And you're talking about during your childhood? During my infancy. Infancy. And childhood. And uh, and it was a bad time, but any time in Russia or Poland was a bad time for Jews, because Jews were discriminated against constantly. Uh-huh. And the first victims, they were very easy, very easy victims. The first were always the Jews. Yeah. If, uh, if a country had a grievance of some kind, a complaint, they, it they blamed the it on the Jews. So, I mean, so that, that you obviously had a community effect. How did it affect your life? Well, I know how it affected my life through the stories that my mother used to tell. And she used to repeat the same stories all the time. And uh, I remember living with terrible guilt. Terrible guilt, because my mother would relate to us that uh, we would get word, the soldiers are coming. Soldiers are coming. As soon as you heard that, you had to run, hide in the in the basement, in the cellars, mm-hmm. and uh, Bye. and be very quiet, draw no attention. So this is your mother's stories. Do you remember it yourself? And my mother always told the story that there we were, all being quiet as mice, in the cellar, being quiet. And I am a newborn infant, hungry and wailing Uh. because I was hungry and jeopardizing everyone's life. And uh, I lived with that terrible guilt for countless years that I jeopardized everybody by my selfish crying because I was hungry. And how unfair was that? And uh, the years went by. Yeah. And I had nightmare after nightmare. From from that? I dreamt. That the soldiers were were coming, coming, were searching for us, were listening and waiting, and I start to cry. 
Yeah. I mean, you didn't have an imaginary boogeyman. You had a real boogeyman. You had, yes. You had no no need for it to be abstract. You had a real fear of a real thing. Exactly. And exactly. That went on for a great many years, and I used to work up, wake up in a panic. Well, the years went by, and when I was eight years old, we moved to the United States. The so circumstances, that, that would have been 1924? 1922. 19, 22, yeah. And I was eight years old then. Um, the circumstances were truly unfortunate. My father was a very fine, fine intelligent, liberal-thinking man. and uh, And he hated living among all that hatred and anti-Semitism. In Poland. Yes, and he had wanted to move to the United States from the first day of his marriage. When my father married, married my mother, it was 1905, and my mother had a large family. They were eight sisters, uh, four sisters and four brothers. The first three children were girls, and they were each one year apart. Uh My mother was the third daughter. Mm -hmm. And, And after that, every two years, my grandmother had a son. Mm-hmm. So within a very short period of time, uh, the family had six, child- six children, yeah. three girls, yeah. and then three boys. Yeah. After that, three years later, my grandmother had two more, one girl uh-huh. and one boy. Yeesh. Those are the days, huh? Yes. Well, (laughs) when people asked my grandmother, because they were poor, how is it that she went ahead and had so many children? Uh Uh-huh. She said, what else is there for a poor family to do? (laughs) Well, you know, I was um, one of seven kids. Mm-hmm. And same same thing. I mean, not obviously not not close to, to early early Poland, but um, early you know twentieth century Poland. But um, still, I was from a poor family, and I was one of seven kids. And they kept asking my mother. They actually at the the um, the hospital. They kept saying they wanted to to tie her tubes. You know, they're like, you're just what are you thinking? You know, because we were on welfare. We, my dad didn't make much yet. They just kept on having kids. And, uh, and that's a good excuse because what else is there to do? Because right. I could say, you know, I had a lot of fun as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. though I was poor, I sure had, I was rich in company. <laughs> <laughs> I was never bored. That's for sure. That's how so, life was. So yeah. And you, and your dad. And, he was he in a similar situation, big family. What was his side? Two, one of two. Him he and his older one, sister. One older sister. Okay. What what was what was the name? It was Aunt something. 
what was her name? Yeah. Um, I have to think. <laughs> yeah, try to remember. We're going back almost a hundred years. I think it was Roberts, K R A W I T Z. And this was her second husband. Uh-huh. I mean, this will give you an idea. Yeah. That it was a long time ago. Uh-huh. But times were not so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, her first, she was married twice. Her first husband was not a good man. Uh, he was violent, mm. and he beat her. Yeah, and she needed to get a divorce. Yeah, you can't just get a divorce. Yeah, if you're a Jew, yeah. it has to be uh, a Approved. religious divorce. Yeah. So the rabbi is called, yep. and actually the rabbi is like a judge, and he listens to the complaint and makes his decision. And he evidently questioned, investigated, and decided that my aunt's story was true and that uh, this man should not be married. Should yeah. not be married to her. Yep. And he granted the divorce. Yep. That well that's that's pretty um, you know, good for those days, huh? That they believed her. Yes, and it seems and, to me it certainly turned out, you know, the right and fair thing to do. Yeah, and her second husband was because much better. I remember the second husband. Yeah. A very nice man. Yeah. He was a carpenter. Yeah. And I remember him being kind, friendly, warm, good to us children. Yeah. And uh, and I remember the atmosphere in his barn where he kept his uh, carpentry equipment and the wonderful fragrance. There's some kind of a machine that you hold by by hand and you run over the board that you're working on oh, um, to peel off plane a planer right a planer the little curly strips yeah, of, 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 of wood uh, wood come off yeah transparently thin uh huh and with the most wonderful fresh wood wood fragrance. smell yeah 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 I I um I can imagine it is a, it's a lovely smell especially um um when they do the lumber mills you know, that's usually kind of greenish wood and mm-hmm. so um more yes, it more, was I guess moist Yeah and so moist wood has even more of a fresh smell to it it's real, and it probably depends on the wood too so We used to visit them very frequently Yeah and as I say he was a very warm-hearted kind man Yeah a wonderful change for my aunt. So, so we talked. We started talking about all this based on the fact that your dad wanted to move out of Poland. Right, right. So, what was? But the reason? my mother was so stubborn. Mm. I don't know why. But and her whole family had moved in nineteen oh five when she was married. They all went to the United States. But my mother would not go. Now, whether there was friction within the family, it's quite possible. Because she was the third daughter, not the oldest, 
and she married first, which her two older sisters weren't too keen on. Uh huh. And uh, and her parents me. objected to the marriage because my father was fourteen years older than my mother, ah. who was nineteen, uh-huh. and he was thir- thirty-three. And uh, and not only was he fourteen years older, but he was my grandfather's first cousin. They were closely oh, closely related. related. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. In addition, yeah. to being so, considerably older. So there's a lot of taboo behind that one. Right. Right. I, I mean, I, I was gonna say it was reminding me a little bit of um, a fiddler on the roof, a little bit. You know how the daughters all had were going to get married, mm. and uh, and then the parents, little by little, started off with a Jewish boy. Then it started off. Then it, the second one was uh, was a poor. Uh, wait, what was the second one? The second one was Jewish, but kind of uh, rebel. And then the third one was Russian, and they said no. I, I could accept one, but the first, the the Russian, no, no way. <laughs> um, so yeah, so even without the approval of their parents, they still got married. Oh yes, yes. So that was probably that probably right there. Well, you know, there wasn't I, I, that big a difference. He was a Jew. Yeah. So he was her second cousin. Yeah. So yeah, they I, I see. they may do, but and, she would not go to I, the stage. Yeah, I can see maybe that would be, cause some mm-hmm. bad blood. As a child, you know, what did I know? Yeah, but I thought if you need a reason, I would think it was because of that. That the girls objected, her sisters objected. Yeah, because she was marrying. So that's why she was dragging her feet, and uh, and so. So then what finally got them to finally make the, the the decision to go? Oh, well, that, as I say, my father was desperate, desperate. And he was a very intelligent man. Yep, an intellectual. And I know he wrote, he was held in great esteem by, uh, there were organizations, you know, if you were active politically, there were groups that you joined. Yeah, so so he wanted to get out. Um, and so what he did, it was Passover. It was 1914. He committed suicide. 1914? And, yes. And so, the, so you were a baby. I'm sorry. Uh, it was 1922. 1922. I was eight years old. Yeah. He... Um, He hanged himself. Well, not the best awakening to the Passover. Yeah, uh, I, I, um, I mean, I have a story that might relate to that. You know, I had um, my grandfather was of um, was born probably a little bit younger than than your um, father. Um, I think he was born in the the teens. He was probably around your age, uh, but he was also an intellectual and um, a doctor. He he uh, was a translator in Italy um, during the time of post World War II. And uh, I think there's something about smart people and and the fact 
maybe there's just a non satisfaction or or a or a sort of longing for something better in life that could maybe drive you to almost insanity. But um, my, he had he killed himself as well. I think it were tough times, you know. I I don't know how 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 much, but I mean, it's it's it. Uh, what I experienced from that is that you know, suicide is not helping anybody except for themselves, I guess you could say. I mean, because it's uh, it leaves every, a hole in everyone's life. That's what we found in the experience. Um, all my my uh, aunts and uncles had all you know are still affected to this day from it. As I grew up, people used to say, "How could your father do such a thing? How could he, you know, and remove how, what, himself how could you... and leave your mother a widow?" With three young children exactly. and no way to make a living, that was a terrible thing to do. Yeah. And I never felt that way. I felt he was your daddy. He did the best thing he could to save our lives. He felt that that life was so unbearable. There was such terrible anti-Semitism and hatred against the Jews that he felt it saved our lives. So or you, at least that's what I told myself. Yeah. That he really saved our lives. So you kind of put him in the position of a martyr. Well, I wasn't thinking in terms of martyrdom, yeah. but I felt in terms of a father taking care of us because I ended up longing so for a father, someone to protect me, someone to care about me. It's not pleasant to grow up knowing that you're unwanted, and we were not really wanted, although my mother's family was kind enough to us to save our lives because uh, one of her younger brothers came to Europe, came to Bialystok to escort us to, to the United States, mm-hmm. where my uncles by then were well established. And you, uh, and I mean, to come there in the twenties, that was a good time in America, right? <laughs> Things were booming, and. Uh, and so they, where did you go and, and um, did uh, did the whole uncles and aunts did they all live in the same place? They all lived pretty close together. Yeah. And uh, where was that? They in Patterson. Patterson. And they had New Jersey. Yes, they settled there. They eventually uh, managed to go into the silk business. Silk. Silk, and Patterson was known as the Silk City. Of the United States, mm. maybe even of the world. Now, I was hearing something about that, like that um, a lot of uh, Jews were, were known for being uh, um, in the textile business and, and silk being kind of a part of that, right? Um, yes. And, and that that was a reason, like in Germany and in, in a lot of places, the Jews weren't allowed to do a lot of jobs, but one of them was the textile business, and so they... They really specialized. Is that true? 
I'm not I sure. don't know about the situation yeah. in Europe, but it certainly was true that Patterson was known as, as the Silk City. Uh-huh. And, uh, so they must have been importing the, silk. Oh, from- yes, a, an important industry, and many people made a living, and uh, yeah. many people made fortunes. Yeah. My uncles established that they were kids when they came here. Uh, and uh, they started by opening little candy stores, stationery stores, where they they sold, you know, minor things and maybe even made sandwiches, um Little, little so like stores. like five and dimes, right? And uh, uh, and uh, gradually they improved the the store and made more money at it, and uh, and possibly sold that and got a bigger store. Yeah. So they made progress. Yeah. They succeeded. And some realized what was happening around them. And uh, one man could run more than one loom, one silk loom. If he worked hard, were alert. So, so it was very efficient. Yes, so some of them who really worked at it could almost do it themselves. Would buy a second loom, uh-huh. hire a man, pay him to bind two loo- two looms at one time, and gradually that way, by hiring another person, exponential growth. Right, and it worked. Yeah, and those who were ambitious and. Uh, Organized and they were able to make a fortune. establish a much lower, larger base, yeah, and make more money, yeah, and eventually open a mill. My uncles treated their parents, and I remember that well, with the greatest respect. Their parents never worked. I never saw my grandparents actually working, but they were treated by their children with the greatest respect. Mm -hmm. And the sons took out a mortgage, and they bought a house in Patterson in a very nice section on 29th Street. Okay. And 29th Street in Patterson was the right side of town, and they... Uh, meaning the rich side of town. Meaning the east side. The east side of town. Oh, that's what you mean. Yes, the east side. And they... Uh, during that period, my uncles were thriving. Yeah. And what they did for us, one of my mother's brothers came to the uh, to Europe, to Bialystok, which was a city. This was no dwarf, you know, no, no little shtetl. It was a, it was a city, and they brought us to their home, and their home 
was the most magnificent, beautiful house that you can imagine. And we came from, I can't remember what it looked like. Uh, I just remember the courtyard, which was Stones, and a number of other families living in little buildings in this courtyard. And uh, so it was definitely a big dramatic step. So where did you live? Innumerable rooms. Mm. The bathrooms were all marble. (laughs) There were patios. Was it Victorian style? I don't know what style you would call it. Like three stories, lots of windows. Four stories. Four stories. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Uh, Lots of of windows. A a regular pantry, a butler's pantry, a regular kitchen, a butler's kitchen. (laughs) It was... It was... It it was was movie. Yeah, it was... Movie material. We're talking Great Gatsby. Yes. And as kids, uh, we had we were a lot of cousins, and we got along, and we uh, played together. It was a wonderful house to play in. We were always visiting our grandparents, and all holidays were celebrated together. It sounds like a very warm, you know. Caring family, and you were not, not quite, not quite. Yeah, that okay, warmth what's, what's and the caring twist? did not <laughs> <laughs> did not extend to the new newcomers, uh-huh. the greenhorns, yeah. the penniless. You know, <laughs> yeah. Give us your wretched poor. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So the garbage of your chores. Yeah. So so you were a burden. You felt like a burden. Oh, yes. And we were treated that way. Yeah. Now, we were not hungry. We were clothed. We were fed. But it was doled out to us to the penny. <laughs> not one excess penny for any luxury. Yeah. One dress a year. One pair of shoes a year. Yep. E- Yep, I I I completely understand. So so uh so how long did this last? Well, my mother's youngest sister, yes, was the princess of the house. Uh-huh. And she How was, many people lived in this house? Well, they were my grandparents and then they were all the, the unmarried brothers. Gotcha. And now the girls the three oldest girls were all married and lived with their husbands. Okay. Except for my mother, who was moved into this big mansion. The widow. Where my grandparents lived. And my single aunt, my youngest aunt. And my youngest uncle was in law school. He was the only one who was able to get an education. But I think he also had a scholarship. But in any case, he became a lawyer. Okay. But the, the three sons were in the silk business. Yep, and did just fine, at least. Where were you in order of the three kids? My immediate family, you, you and my yours. mother had 
three little girls. Okay. And you were what order? And we were aged. I was eight, and my oldest sister just turned 13. Okay. So we and, were and what was, eight, what about, 11, and 13. So, so you're, you're the youngest. Yes. You were the youngest. Gotcha. Uh, no, uh, the youngest of the cousins. Youngest there of the There was cousins. one more yeah. at that time. So you weren't the youngest in the house, but you were the youngest of your siblings. Right. And so, um, and you, you, you know, kind of had to, like you said, you were treated like, like the, the, um, the poor people coming. Well, my grandparents had to live in maid. Yeah. And we were treated like the servant. Gotcha. I I mean because you you came in with charity you know you came right. in, a, in a case of charity and so well actually we we paid our own passage. My father had a store in Bialystok. Yeah, the tobacco store, and so and did all right. He had, you know, we had enough money to pay our own passage, but. Uh, so, so still, no one to make a living. So there you are, living with your mother, kind of in in a in a a little a class lower than the rest of your family, and you um you lived there for how long? Did were, does that mean that not you, long? Did your mom my, want to get out? No, my mother had no no ambition, no self confidence. No way to make a living. Is this a an old-fashioned point of view, or is this just your mother? Was that how, well, how it was for women? Well, I think it was both. Yeah. I think it was both, because she had no self-confidence, although to us children, she talked as though she had a lot of confidence and bravery. Yeah. But that wasn't really so. Yeah. The, because what she taught us was... That it's an alien world. The the world has no use for us. Would never lift a finger to help any of us. Uh, we have nothing to look forward to. Yeah. We would always be poor. We would always be second hand, second rate, second everything, and no one would ever love us. So so she she was um dist- her her idealism of of being able to to make it anywhere in the world was destroyed. She believed that she had this lot in life, and that was what it was for good. That's exactly so. And and she told us that this is our lot. Yep. This is what's going to so to happen. With so us. how long did that dominate your life in America? Now, my aunt Lily, my mother's youngest sister. Yes. Was treated as like a, prince, a princess. A princess. Yeah. And in those days, uh, Silver Fox was the beautiful fur. Uh-huh. My Aunt Lily had a gorgeous Silver Fox jacket. Jeez. My grandmother had a, I forget, a, a, a fur coat, I remember. Oh, lamb, lamb. It was that curly lamb. Um, she had a fur coat. Yeah. I mean, they... And my Aunt Lily had a season subscription 
to the Metropolitan Opera. <laughs> she went to the Met, yeah. you know, regularly. So did, did your mother resent this, I'm guessing? My mother... Did everyone did, resent this? She didn't. No. No one seemed to re- resent it. Mm-hmm. And, but... Uh, it just was what it was, and it was kind exactly. of... Exactly. It was accepted, yeah. and she was the princess, yeah. and she despised my mother. Mm. And all of a sudden, she has an older sister with three children barging in, in Into her, her, yeah, her mansion. So she didn't want us around. Gotcha. And she complained about us. She told all kinds of stories of the terrible things that we would do, like lock her out of the bathroom. And that place was full of bathrooms. Bathrooms, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a mansion. It had everything. And... Uh, okay, so so now that's another element. So first of all, you're treated second class. Second, you have, a, have an aunt that's, that's a, a quite a spoiled princess. That um that had it in for your mother, so how long did this endure? Under a year. Under a year. We came in September, and by June. Nineteen twenty-three. Uh, yes, my aunt Lily had found a cold water tenement. What does that mean? Uh, a tenement was cold, a cold water tenement. Oh well. A tenement was a building... Rental, right? Yes, that you rented, that was old, that was made of wood, that was multifamily, but very poor. Oh, so cold water means there was no hot water. No hot water. I see. No central heating. Mm -hmm. We had a coal stove in the kitchen. So that's what heated the house. And that heated the whole... House. Did you use that to one, cook, cook as well? One big coal stove in the kitchen, which was used for heating water when you turned a, up the hot water heater. So you had hot water when you heated it. And, uh, and this coal stove was used for cooking, baking, making hot water for your laundry. Yep. It was multiple purposes. Multiple purposes. Basically, you probably actually, to your relief, you went to a a place that they probably said was more suited for what your situation, (laughs) right? I mean, you probably, in a funny way, went to that tenement house, and it was probably a relief from living in that mansion with that with that spoiled. Not exactly. Not exactly. Not exactly. They both had their bad sides. One thing I wasn't used to, we may have lived in uh, totally different circumstances, but we had a courtyard. We were free to play everywhere. At the cold tenement? At the, no, no. Oh, at the mansion? In the the original place in Bialystok. I see. Yeah, you you were talking about that courtyard. You know, what we had gone from and to. Yep. But, uh, and all that magnificence was there and gorgeous, but not for us, because my aunt decreed that we were to use the back door. 
<laughs> not the front door. Uh-huh. And so that was not too pleasant to be treated totally differently yeah. in the same family. Isn't that, uh, that's such a shame. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, and I have to add. And no one checked in on her? No one No one questioned that no, girl? No, they accepted whatever story she made up. That was it. There was their princess. Yes. There was no questioning us. Is this true? Does this really happen? Yeah. Who would believe us? And my mother did not stand up for it. She was totally a victim. And uh, so, so compared to the courtyard and the whatever backdoor situation you had at the mansion, what was your outdoor life at this new cold water tenement? It was, I'll tell you what the indoor life was like. I was in a state of panic. Was it as big as this apartment we're in right now? What was? Your tenement. It might have been just as big. I don't remember. How many rooms? Well, it was four rooms. Four rooms? There were two bedrooms. That's not too bad. There was the kitchen, mm-hmm. and there was the dining room. Okay. But probably very, and a bathroom. very small. Yes. But the most horrible part of it was the fact that we we had roaches. Roaches, oh. And I had never seen, you know, you might think living in Europe that we had some kind of infestation. Mm -hmm. We did not. Our place was clean, and uh, I never saw... I, I used to see mice. Yeah. From time to time. I did occasionally see a mouse and I consider that a plaything. Yeah. But but cockroaches are disgusting. But roaches that was something I had never seen before. Was and it was it I terrifying? Was, oh God was I terrified. Yeah. I was terrified. I was disgusted. I was in a panic because they would come out in the dark yeah. like an army. And an they'd army, crawl over the walls. You know, monsters. Yeah. And we had no electricity. What we had were gas mantles, which were like um, a, a beautiful fixtures that lit in the fire. walls. That you would light up as they would fire up, right? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but it was gas, uh-huh. and it was a filament uh-huh. that would light up. Yep, yep. And uh, and so you would light it up, and then there'd be a, and a, then a there'd million be all these moving things. Uh, and as a child, I would go to the bathroom, and I was so afraid to sit on the toilet because of. You had to examine it first, yeah. Or you could sit on a, one of those. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I've, I st- been in. We, we, my parents moved around a lot when I was young, and we were usually in pretty rundown places. But um, I never experienced much of an infestation. Maybe some mice once in a while, or um, maybe a few cockroaches in the kitchen, but not like you know, an infestation. The only time I experienced an infestation when I went to my brother's in Missouri and they got an infestation of fleas in the carpets. 
And that's the only thing I could compare it. And it's like, it's miserable. You know, I mean, you, you, I remember when I was walking, I would feel him jump up and off of my feet as I was walking. And, you know, and I mean, when it gets to the point where they're so numerous, it gets to the point where they, they almost are so numerous. They can't even like skitter away and get away from you. They, they have to like, you know, eventually some will crawl on you and you'll, you'll see them all over the place. I mean, so you just basically form have now in this new life, another form of every, every place you go, you have some form of a boogeyman. Or some sort of scary thing. Exactly. You had a scary childhood. Exactly. From from the soldiers to your aunts to to cockroaches. So, My mother worked so hard. What did she do? At getting rid of them. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were. What was it called? White powder. Uh huh. Was it borax? Don't know. Borax is a is a um, you know a uh, cleaning agent for yeah. Well, they something like that. Yeah, she used constantly. Mm-hmm. She scrubbed and scrubbed and cleaned, but it's a multiple dwelling. Yeah, you you can't clean out everybody's infestation, but she did it. She got bottom. She brought got down. rid of those roaches. It took a long time. It took a long time. Yeah. And and as a child, I was hysterical about it. How? What was your outdoor life around that house? Well, outdoors, I made friends. Was it? Was I was it, going to school. Was it a city-like area? I guess so. Were there yards? Yards? Parks? No, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember yards. You know, with beautiful, with trees, with fruit. I don't remember that at all. What sort of community were you in there? It was mixed. Mixed. It was mainly Jewish, but it was also black. Yeah, so was it slummy? I I don't know what you mean by slummy. I the mean, buildings I mean, were old. The uh, buildings the, were wood. The part of town was it a was it a part of a poor part of town? A kind it of was the a, poorest. A, a ghetto. It was the poorest. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. It was gotcha. the poorest. So the the unifying factor in all the people living there were they were poor. So um, how long did you manage there, and what did your mother do? And so we lived there. My mother ailed a lot. A- what's that mean? What did you say? Ailed. She had many six, ailments. Six sicknesses. Yes. I imagine some of her sicknesses might have been psychosomatic, but she also had real ailments. Yeah. And uh, And the years went by slowly. Now, I was... Happy in a sense, because within a year, less than a year, I when I was eight years old, I mastered English. That was no great feat, because, you know, when you're only eight years old, you absorb a language. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. Not hard to learn. And, uh, and we, were, we were bright kids. We weren't stupid. So... We uh, did well, and I enjoyed school. And once I learned to read, 
a whole new world opened up for me. Yeah. You know, reading English, reading stories, learning about all kinds of things. It was wonderful. And mostly the teachers liked us because we were we were well brought up. We were nice kids. What were the public schools like then? Um, Did you go to a public school? Oh, yes. In Patterson, uh, since we moved into uh, our mansion that was in a very nice section of Patterson with nice teachers, they treated us well. You know, occasionally there would be a teacher who felt she was superior because she pronounced the word differently from the way we pronounced it. So we we came across that kind of it. Okay, so the teachers are nice. What sort of building was it like? Was it uh, was there a lot of kids in the school? Was it um... well, the first school we went to, school thirteen, was in this very nice section in Patterson when we were living at my grandmother, and uh, and so the building was nice, not large, not really large. And I loved school, loved everything about it. So that was a nice experience. Once we moved out to our cold water flat, of course we were in an entirely different section of Patterson. Yeah. And it was the uh, poor 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 neighborhood. So you went to the poor school, right? Yes, and I... Remember that school number six, which was what was it entirely like? black, like black people. Yes, the the uh, the lowest grade where my niece was registered. By then, I had a niece, and she and she was pretty and blonde and fair skinned. Yeah. And I remember her graduation picture. Uh-huh. Surround- and she was the valedictorian, uh-huh. you know, a little five-year-old uh-huh. uh, valedictorian, blonde, white kid, and all these little black ones <laughs> around. She was the only white kid uh-huh. in the whole school. That's funny. I remember that. So um, how long did you did you have some stability in that time? What did your mom do as a job? What did she do as an income? For a couple of years, she worked for her brothers uh-huh. in, the in the silk mill as a picker. Now, a picker examines the fabric. The, the silk mill would weave the fabric. And they would come on rolls, and that roll would be put up on a frame, uh-huh. and uh, and you would move it gradually. Uh-huh. So it would roll in front of you, and the picker would sit with what looked like um, um, some sort of tool. Yeah, it was a little tool. That would be like a nail clipper. Okay. And and as the fabric moved slowly, you would 
keep watching the fabric, and wherever you saw a little knot of of thread, uh huh, you clipped it off. I see. Trying to make it as as yes, pure, yes. like pure, like flat and like flat, flat exactly, silk as possible. Exactly. Gotcha. No knots. Yeah, it was it was an actual job. Well, sure. I'm sure that would happen enough for it to really help improve the quality of the silk. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and my mother did do that for a couple of years, yeah. but she was not well. And then she needed yeah, surgery, all of her and she needed a hysterectomy, ah. and so she didn't work long. Uh, but when I turned 16 and I graduated from high school and got a job, I said, we're moving. I would not stay there. So if I do my math, that means we're talking 30, 31. 30. 1930. So, 1930. So 1930, you decide to get a job in some of, one oh, of the worst. Oh, I didn't decide to get a job. I had to get a job. Because that's depression time. That was the time. At 16, we had been told, no matter where we were in school, that was when we, we had to leave school. Who who told you this? My uncle. Your uncles. So so basically a a, pre, a societal pressure that you needed to get to work and make some oh, money. Oh yes. Yep. And so when my sister Janet, who was thirteen when we came to the states, when she was sixteen, had to leave school and uh, and get a job, and she had. No education, so what could she do? She got a job as a sales girl for a department store. Now, this happened to be a very nice, a really fine department store. We had two in Patterson, and one was the poor one, and one was the fine one. Janet... My sister went to the good one. Went to the good one where they liked her because she was quiet, she was courteous, she knew her stock, she knew the gifts, she she fitted in the way they wanted her to fit in. And so, I mean... Um, so that was before the depression, because she she would have been doing it like two or three years before you, right? Yes. So, what was it like when you were looking for a job? When I was looking for a job, the crash had already come. Yeah. It was 1930. There were no jobs available. Yeah. And I got a job through the help of a neighbor, one of our neighbors who liked me and who had a girlfriend, who had a sister, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, who yeah. knew someone. Who, who knew someone. Who worked in a large silk mill office and who, uh, or um, dye house, 
because they were dye houses. I can imagine. Shops. I can imagine the silk business must have gotten a huge hit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, it, like it seems like back in those days, you had to have someone that knew someone, or else you wouldn't be able to get exactly. anything. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And that's how I got a job. So, in the silk business again? Yes. Yeah. So, what did you do in, in the, the silk business? In the textile dye house. Yeah, the dye Dying and printing, because fabric needs to be processed. Fabric in the raw is not attractive, so it needs to be boiled, it needs to be prepared, it needs to be dyed if you're going to have a solid color fabric, or it needs to be printed if you're going to have a pattern. So, um, um, were, was the conditions okay? I mean, I could imagine if you're dealing with a lot of dyes and, and processing, it might have been a rather smelly and, and not so yeah, nice well, place. Well, the office was upstairs. You dealt with the office? Yes, I worked in the office. And that was the big thing with graduating high school. You could read and write. I had. I had an education. I could type. I could do uh, transcription. I I knew shorthand, typing, how to operate a switchboard. I learned many things, many things. Yeah, yeah. So, so that seemed to be a pretty good step for you. Yes. And, and, and just the fact that you had a, a high school education was a very good step for you. Okay. So how long did you do this job? For a number of years. Yeah. So yeah. it saw you into adulthood. Yes. And did yes, you get did. did you live with your mother still? I'm sorry. Did you continue to live with your mother? Yes. Um for how long? Well, until you got Until married. Until I got married. Yeah. You were That's right. what it was like those days. That's how it was. Yep. So 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 let's see what who do you how, how what's that story? Well, time went by. I once I got a job, I said it's time to move. I'm not staying in the cold water flat. Yeah. We have to find you a could afford place. better at that point. And we found a place that was heaven to me. It had central heat. Uh-huh. Now we could not afford to pay more money than we had been. So what we had to give up was a separate bedroom. So one bedroom so instead of two bedrooms for the four of us. The four of us slept in one bedroom. At this much point, doesn't it include five of you? Because uh, you said you had a niece. Oh no, no, she wasn't the, there yet. No, no, that was later. Okay. Later, I have to. In my mind, I have to straighten out the I, I chronology. Can, I can barely remember things when I was, you know, younger than ten. You know, I mean, I, I am extremely impressed how how much you do remember. The four of you moved into a one-bedroom house. So did, yes. did you put multiple but it beds was, in there? It was sunny. And it was, the rooms were large. 
Yeah. They were clean. Was they it, were was modern. Was it a tenement house or was it a whole house? It was a, a small apartment building. Okay. They were 10 apartments. It was made of brick. It had a it had a dumbwaiter. Oh, I tell you. It was a step up. The features yes, <sighs> were so wonderful to me. We did not have to carry, carry up pails of coal oh. in the winter. Yeah. You know, from the basement that's, to the top That's floor. how it always was done. You'd have to carry a pail of coal. How often would you have to refill the coal? Oh, every day. Once a day? Yes, every day. We would bring up fresh coal. Uh-huh. And, that, and that at was the probably... end of the day, we would have to take the ashes down. Yeah. So, so a big old pain in the rear. Yes. Oh, you went through that? No, I'm just saying, you. like, it sounds like it was a big pain. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah, especially depending on how many flights you had to go. Oh, and my mother always wanted the top floor. Yeah. She, <laughs> she felt that was, you got the freshest air. Yeah. And she was right. The air was fresher. Nobody was walking overhead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so you you had a new place, you had a good job. Um things are looking better, but you did have to sleep in one room, but you probably had multiple beds. Oh. And uh and it was just wonderful. Yeah. Just Wonderful, and so to have a bathroom <laughs> with tiles uh-huh. and no bugs of any kind. Oh yeah! Oh, it was wonderful. Was it still in Patterson? Yes. Now it was not in a good part of Patterson, but it was a good but apartment. It was, but it was entirely different. Yeah, entirely different. I didn't care the fact that so. It was so uh-huh. you went from the age of like eight or nine to the age of 16, eight years in that cold water tenement. Yes. Yeah. So that was a long time of your life. And you, pro- and you went through your, your most of your teenage years, so I bet you were real frustrated. So, so this was a real step up, and so things are looking good for you, even during the time that it was depre- the Depression. And uh, how did... Um, so so what led on to the the t- point where you got married or maybe even you, it might be interesting to know when your your sisters probably started leaving the house too your sisters probably started getting married as well did they did they marry in order my sister no natalie married first yeah the following year my oldest sister janet married yeah and I was left, and I wasn't getting married. Mm-hmm. I I knew the kind of person I wanted to marry, and I wasn't going to marry somebody that I found didn't interest me enough or have the interest that I had. So I was I was picky. I also feel that I overlooked a lot of good material because afterwards I found out that there were so many boys who told me that they would have loved to date me, but they didn't have the courage to ask me because I had a sort of a a wall that I put up 
And I was aware of that. Yeah. I was aware that I really put up a wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the end, how do you feel about that? Did, did you, did you end up marrying? Did you? Yes, I did. Yeah. When did, um, so you were probably, what, in their thirties? I was, I was, um, 36. 36. Ah, for those days, that's ancient. Oh, yes. You would have had, you know, all your now, kids by then. Yeah. I, I look nice. There's a picture up there on the top left. Oh, yeah. That my sons made me put up. But that was taken just before I was married. Uh huh. I didn't look my age. I never did. And I still don't. It's very beautiful. Most, well, he was a terrific photographer. Yeah. Have to give credit where it's due. <laughs> he really was a, a professional photographer. But the fact is, I was 30, 35 there. Or maybe I was 36 already. Yeah, so those are the days. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would if I would have looked at that, I would have said maybe 22. Mm, yeah. I, you look I young. I always look younger. Yeah. So, um, so you got married late. Was your husband younger? Yeah, he was almost three years younger. So not too much younger. No, no. And, so, so and that, absolutely, it, was, it makes no difference. Yeah. You know, how old you are. Doesn't make a bit of difference. Might have in the end. I mean, that's kind of the the trend nowadays to get get married mm. later in life. And uh, you know, maybe you, um, in a way, even though it wasn't culturally the norm, you probably ended up better off that way. Yeah. What do you think? Better off that you married late than married early. Oh, I, I was perfectly content with what I, what I did. So, did you just live with your mom then the whole time? That's what you did. Yeah, so you lived with your However, mom for, for decades. The one time that I moved out of the house, it was only for a few months, and I decided that I wanted to go away for the summer. And there was a place where I used to go for vacation that I loved, and I would have Love to spend the whole summer there, but of course I couldn't afford that. Mm. So one day I decided I'm going to apply for a job, and I did. And that place, I don't know if you're familiar with it, was Tamament. Ta- no, I don't. Uh, well, it was a summer resort in the Poconos. Okay. And which is... Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, and so so that was your little brief stint away from your mother. And that was more than one. I uh, <clears throat> I decided I would leave the job I had. Now I never had a problem getting a job. Yeah. Because uh I had very good re- relationship with um your employers? The accountants. Oh, okay. And any time I wanted to change jobs, I could pull this big accounting firm in Patterson and tell them I'm ready to make a change. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything in mind? And they would place me. 
They would place you, yeah, every time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they knew you were solid. Oh, yes. Yes, I was an excellent, excellent worker. Yeah. And, uh... So what, what made you want to change jobs so often? Well, I would... I was very good yeah. at what I did. And, uh... And I w- would come to a place, and they would sing my praises... And treat me, I was very special, uh-huh. and treated in a very special way. Yeah. And after no more than a year, within a year, your they get, old they stuff. Get, they get used to you. And you get work piled on you yeah. more and more and yeah. more. Yeah. The more you can do, the more, the more work you. you get. No extra pay. And uh, exactly. Yep. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And this goes on and I would decide I've had enough of this. I'm changing. And I would give notice and change jobs. I I completely understand. I I think I once again it's funny like you almost sound like a modern woman in the days, you know, in the days that you grew up. Because yes. I, I, from what I hear, there's kind of a, that's a modern sensibility to kind of do that exact same thing every couple of years, changing jobs, you know, mm-hmm. as, as kind of keeping it fresh, you know. Um, and by no means is it is it a hit on your career. It's more just usually either parallel steps or steps up, because just like you're saying, a job can get stale pretty quickly, and and uh, and there's an element of just. Um, you know, exploration and, and interesting, you know, thing to just keep going from new job to new job, you know, cause by two years you tend to be pretty good at it, you know? And also in the course of changing, you learn many new skills yeah. and different ways of doing things. Yep. And if you keep your eyes and ears open and listen to the people you're working with, or who are your superiors, you can learn a great deal that broadens your perspective and your ability to handle other jobs that are more complicated. Yep, yep. So So it's a move up. Yes. And and it's enjoyable after a certain period because the initial period might be a little difficult. You know, you get... Step into something new that you're not familiar with, and you you have to meet the match, meet the challenge. Yep, yep. And 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 it, I I find those times to be fu- refreshing and 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 nice to be challenged. Yes, and, and you know, and it's new and it's and it's fresh and it's so um so it sounds like you were quite a self-made woman by the time you got married. And, yes. and quite independent. And, oh, yes. And you, it sounds like you had self-confidence that your mother lacked. Oh, yes, about my work. Yep. Not enough self-confidence to be well-paid. Yeah. That, strangely, did not come about until I took the last job in, my, in, in the years of- that I worked. Yeah. And at that last job, it was a different industry where they paid better 
and it was the garment industry that I had never been in. Okay, so you would consider so silk and garment are kind of different, quite different, quite different. Yeah, and uh, and I took that job. I I applied it for it through an ad in the paper, and uh, and I knew I was in the moment I was interviewed because I did which takes confidence, but was very easy for me. This place advertised, and they were open on Saturday. And uh, and the man I spoke with asked me to come on Saturday when he would be there. And it was, uh, we, we made tops. In fact, this is one of the tops that is so ancient, but I have so many of them that I still have some. So Doris is wearing a top, um, a yellow top that was made in the same industry you were working in, the textile. So what sort of fabric is that? It looks like maybe wool or cotton? Yes, I think it's cotton. Cotton. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And this is our design. It looks solid. I mean, you know... Uh, especially it, if you've got you you've owned it for and for uh, seventy years, and we we shipped all over the United States. Now this was made in a mill in Brooklyn, but uh, those were the years when the whole industry shifted, and we were started to import from foreign countries. So we imported from China, Japan, later on, uh, smaller countries. Um, and this is in the 40s. Or did you, you? how long did you work here? Because it sounds like you probably... That was my last job. Your last job. My but, last which, which job. Which sounds like you, you, did you stop working when you got married? or, or No, s- no. How long did you... No, I worked there for 10 years. Ten years. So I, I retired when I was seventy. Seventy. Okay. So you kept doing jobs all the way up to sixty. The age sixty. Well, and in then between, you... no. In between, I did not work for a number of years. Okay. Because I had my two sons, and I wanted to bring them up. Yeah. How? So how was the married life? How was the family life? I mean, it's a big chunk of your life. But I mean, how did how did you fare in that? Well, I marry the kind of man I wanted to marry. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, he was the right person for me. Yeah. But unfortunately, he had a very bad upbringing. Mm -hmm. Terrible. Unbelievable mother. Cold. Unfeeling. Unloving. Selfish. She brought him up, teaching him over and over that she gave him life. He owed her his life and everything he ever earned or would earn that all belonged to her 
and he was entitled to nothing. It was unbelievable to me that anyone could feel like that about anyone to turn them into a slave, but a mother to feel that way. But she was really incredible. So you had that hanging over the marriage. Oh, it was not a good marriage so far as that was concerned. But I cared about him. Yeah. Yes, I had a lot of a lot of feeling for him. Yeah. And he cared about me in the limited way that he could care because he was very limited. Yeah. I hear. So, so uh, I had a lot to contend with. Well, he, he, but then I what had a, my what, How did he attract to you? What attracted you to him? His intelligence. His the way his, he talked. Oh, he was not the way he talked. He was a very intelligent man. And he had a great sense of humor, wit. He was a good person. He was... Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So so then you had the children late in life, in your late 30s, and early 40s? Yes, I was... I have to think think of the years, but uh, you were you ultimately you were you were pretty old to be having children. But I had two wonderful pregnancies. Yeah, I was so you know it was so normal. You were blessed. I was so happy. I I think I was the happiest woman who was ever pregnant. Pregnant. And uh, I had wonderful, happy pregnancies and two wonderful, healthy, brilliant children who to this day are brilliant human and kind, understanding human beings. And whatever I didn't get in the way of education was available to my children, and that gave me great pleasure and they, great pride. They both boys? Yes, they were both boys. Yeah. And uh and they were they were intelligent, bright enough to be accepted anywhere they would have applied. Mm-hmm. And uh And so they both graduated college. Oh yes. Are they uh what what do they do? And uh my oldest son uh, graduated and became a lawyer, which Very he nice. wanted. Very nice. And then he went on to become a judge, uh-huh. and uh, he's now retired as as a judge. And um, my second son was born uh, a little over two years later, David. And uh, he chose to be a doctor, and he's still in practice. Mother of a judge and a doctor. Who could ask for better, huh? And, you know, I didn't ask for it. I just wanted them to do what they wanted to do and be happy at. Well, it sounds like you were a good mother. Well, 
they'll tell you so. <laughs> to this day, I just heard those very words a couple of days ago when I celebrated my hundred and second birthday. And and so I was actually going to ask you: Do you celebrate it on the thirteenth or the sixteenth? Both. Both. So you're uh, why not? You're unofficial and you're official. Right. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, that's nice. So yes, both birthdays, and that—that's uh, that, wonderful. So, um, so, and that, I said to my son David, who's the doctor who saved my life a couple of months ago, and uh, and I thanked him. How for, how did he save your life? For saving my life. What how? happened was well now, I'm a hundred and two. And I was sleeping over at my son Alan's, where I always loved to sleep. The judge. down Right, the judge, down in their finished basement. and But it's downstairs. And, uh, and I had a, an infection. Oh, wow. At the time. And... Uh, and I guess I must have been running a fever, but in any case, I fell down the stairs. Just just a week? Uh, how long ago? Um, Thanksgiving. Oh my goodness! And I fell down the stairs, and uh, it didn't seem that I had broken anything. I thought I broke my head. That's yeah. what it seemed to me I hit. But my son David, a couple of days later, recognized the symptoms and said that I must have fractured some bones in my back. And uh, I was tested, and that was so. I broke my spine in four places, or three places. And uh, and that required special treatment. And it, by coincidence, it just happened <clears throat> that David, the doctor, is um, an interventional radiologist, and his specialty is fractures. <laughs> and... Uh, so he knew so just what to do. He, he reckoned, right, and and sent me for x-rays. and uh, But the hospital would not let him do the procedure. Is there some they rule? they don't permit, you know, closely related people yeah. to operate on each other. Probably because it affects, so his, your, it affects your judgment. Yeah, so his... His partner, his colleague, was on vacation in Florida. And when he heard that I was hurt, he flew up and he did the, he did the procedure. And uh, because I, I couldn't have lived with the pain. Yeah. Well, that, it's a nice, uh, nice thing to have a son like that. Right, and what a coincidence. And when I thanked him yeah. for saving my life, I said to him, 
Some women feel they give birth to a son and give him life. And here, you're the one who given me, me life. life. Yeah. And what he said to me was, and that was very recently, he said, Mom, you'd, you've done everything for us. He said, you gave us everything. And you never, never asked for anything for yourself. Never wanted anything in return. Well, I consider it a great blessing and privilege to have been able to do something for you. And that made me cry. Uh, uh, sure. I mean, what a what a life! What a what a difference a, a life makes, you know. You uh, you came for what you came from in Poland, Russia, and then you having the opportunity to make a life for yourself, were able to give your children everything you could. And they were the kind of children who could do everything. Yeah, and. And be such fine human beings and do so much for others. Yeah. Because they've done great things for other people. Yeah. Um, you know, feel free to take a drink or anything. You know, um, you've been talking for quite a while and I, I, um, you know, I can stop at any time, but I, um, maybe I'll just try to knit it together a little bit. So, um, uh, how when what made you decide to come to the fellowship ah the fellowship when my children were born when my second child was born he was an infant uh, i had a neighbor in fairlawn new jersey uh, who lived just a couple of doors up from me and we were friends and she had two children who were the same age as mine and uh, and their name the older one was Susie Susie McFeeder oh the McFeeders right yep and da David uh, David is her husband David is her husband yeah. uh, Susie was Betty's older child yep her first firstborn, and uh, and she was Alan's age, a few months older than Alan. And her next one was her son Richard, who is Dave, my son David's age. And they're exactly five days apart, yeah. same age. So the... So we were the, neighbors. The uh, the um, Sacks and the the Shakers. Schlake, shackers. Shackers. The Sacks and the Shackers. <laughs> so and it was a it was a match made in made in heaven. You, you had your good neighbors. Like yeah, you, you yeah, had so the same we, situation. Well, and then Betty went ahead and had a third child. Uh huh. Which the doctor said I, I should not do. Uh-huh. That um, I should not push my luck. Yeah. And I felt so lucky. I thought he was right. Yeah. I'm not pushing my luck because I had the most extraordinary children. 
Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, you made a lot of the uh, good choices. And so so Betty moved uh, somehow was involved in this place? Oh, Betty's daughter, Susan. I thought you knew. I, I Well, I you know, you, I'm kind of prying you to, to explain yeah. it. Susan and her husband, David, moved here. Uh, Susan went to school. In the, she went to the, Bryn Mawr. In the very early days of this place. Right. right. I'm not so sure what, like she seven, was, 70s and 80s? She was... Um, yeah, she. I'm not sure. She lived here. She worked here. Yeah. For a great many years. Yep, I, I've met her, and uh, and their daughter. I'm not sure if they have more than one daughter or not. No, just the one daughter. Yeah, she's very nice, and she loves. Yes, yeah, she's very nice. Yeah. And uh, and she she lived here and worked here, and my husband and I used to come to visit her. And one day, and when we we were visiting, I used to volunteer to help with whatever was going on. And uh, and one day when we were here, Susie was here, and I volunteered as usual. And... And I always used to explain to my husband what needed to be done, what was being done, so he could also help. And Susie noticed a change in my husband, and uh, and she called my son, David, to ask him... Uh, if he should come what, here. Was there something wrong yeah. with my son that she noticed that there was a change? In your husband? In my husband. And he told her, yes, that he was being t- tested for al- Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's. That's a terrible one. So she called him because, you know, she didn't want to ask me in case I wouldn't tell her, I guess. Meanwhile, David did tell her, and uh, so she... And and he did have it. Yeah, so she knew. How old was he when he was afflicted? When that happened? How old was he when they found out? Well, it was a few years before we came here. Seven, Be- 70s, 80s, 90s? How old were you guys? Um, he was only three years younger than you. You could just say, pick a decade. Yeah, well, he died at 85. Okay. That's so you're, when you're, he died. Were you in your 80s then? Probably. I turned 87 Yeah. when we moved here. Okay, yeah, so he was 84. Yes, he died at 85. Yep, so it wasn't long after he got here that no. he passed. No, he died very soon after. So that, but I, but he was home for years. Yeah. I took care of him for a long time. Yeah, and so so um, how was the? Ex- I mean, so you got so was it a good experience him coming here? I mean, I'm sure it was hard no matter what. But did yes, you find that? But you, it was the right place to be, and I knew that right from the start. Yeah, I liked it. I liked their philosophy. I liked 
I liked the way they handled things. I was also um, aggravated about how they didn't handle some things. You know, in any place, yeah. you have that feeling. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, places have their their good spots and their bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so yeah. I mean, feel free to say whatever you want. But um, so he he passed, and then you stayed. Yes, and everyone thought I would leave because, as I said, I look younger than I am. Uh-huh. I feel it. Yeah. Up until now. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that works to the whole you being as old as you are. You know, it, it uh, maybe finally it's catching up to you. Yes. You're you're like um you know one hundred and two is today's eighty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you you you're still. I mean, you know, let alone being able to live as old as 102, but to be able to remember and be able to talk and to be able to retain as much as you do is nothing more than a a a almost a miracle. And uh, so, so you spent. So now you're getting on to be about 15 years here. Yes, and it is. It is 15 years. Yeah. We moved here March 3rd, 2001. All right, right around your birthday. Right. Right before your birthday. So this mm-hmm. so your birthday marks the time, you know, the the years. So so you went from the age of 87, was that what you turned when you just got there? You turned 87 when you got when here? When we you got turned, here. Or you turned 87. Yeah, about a week after. You turned 87. Yeah. So so yeah, exactly yeah. 15. Because um it was March, March, um, well. Yeah, 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 March 3rd. So Yeah, March 3rd when we moved here. So, so you, um, what do you do with your days now? You can't do as much as you used to. <laughs> but I still see you taking walks. I if you done ever I I didn't know about your accident. Have have you been able to walk as much since? Well, it's been difficult since my fall and all those fractures and uh, the healing that has to take place and the you have to exercise to bring back the f- strength. And that has been difficult for me. I don't feel like exercising. <laughs> yeah, you think, man, when am I going to get a break from this exercising? <laughs> Never. Even if you get to be 102, you can't get away from exercising, right? So, so, so you're spending, you know, you're having a little bit more or less mobility Challenge. these little more challenges these days but um pretty much up to the fall which you know when you were 101 at that point you were still walking around quite a bit getting around doing doing your thing um which is quite impressive i mean most of us feel like it's it's an amazing thing that you can be living quasi independently you know you're not in the main care facility here and you're the oldest person in this community, um, and that's that's quite impressive. So, so let me ask just a couple 
hundred and two year old questions and then and then we can we can uh call it a wrap, okay? Doris? So um you're so most people would think, you know, if you live this long, what's your secret? <laughs> they ask me that. All the time. All the time from <laughs> years back. And I made something up yeah, what is years it? ago. Which they printed in the bulletin. And what I said was, now some is true and some is false. I, I said, uh, what was the, oh yes, I said, have a shot of whiskey every day. <laughs> is that true or false? I'll tell you. And, and then the second thing I said, was it's a good thing to have a lover a lover and most people love that and especially if you're married i mean yeah you can claim it's your husband yeah 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 so uh, they like that <laughs> and then i say and now i'll tell you what's true for me uh-huh look for the humor in everything that's it. Laugh. That's the truth. You have to laugh. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, you have to think about it. Yeah. Find the humor and laugh. Yep. Because laughter is the answer. It's the it's the escape from the, all the prison of of stress and 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 exactly. built up built up energy in and in, in holding exactly. in exactly and also. In humor, you may find a true answer. Yeah. Well, I can't say that there could be much better words of wisdom than that. <laughs> um, no, it certainly won't hurt anybody yeah. to do that. Well, I think that'll do. And I really appreciate you spending the time. Um, I know this is kind of a sleepy hour, and you've been oh, doing fantastic. Every hour is a sleepy hour for me, <laughs> because if I have any real complaint, it's that I cannot sleep. Oh, yeah. And I am up, I'm up, I'm up, and I need sleep. Sadly, I see that. And I'm wide awake, except now my eyes are closing. All right, so are you finding a way to find... But if I were to go... Go to bed uh -huh. and lie down. You wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep. Yep, and that is so frustrating because you know how often that happens over at Hilltop. All the members, you know, that do not sleep at night but will be in their wheelchair, you know, huddled over, snoring. And uh, um, so is there any sense of humor you can have behind that? About people falling asleep? About people not being able to sleep. <laughs> maybe uh maybe that you'll be able to have a really good relationship with the ceiling <laughs> i don't know um I, I will tell you this i feel my life has been full of miracles and i mean real miracles because i was told i would never have children and if I, by any chance, did become pregnant, I would never be able to carry a pregnancy to fulfillment. I have been told so many life-threatening, 
warnings. Yes. Don't even try because it's impossible. And none of it worked out that way. And it sounds like your mother. (laughs) Well, it sounds like my mother telling me nothing's ever going to work out. She never said, but one day... Yeah, we can do this. You will be amazed. And... And in the next generation, then in my son's son's life, uh-huh. there's my grandson, Benjamin. Uh-huh. Have you met him? No. Well, you should. Uh-huh. Next time, of course, I don't know when he'll be here next, but you should meet him. How, how old is he? he? He just turned 29. Okay, so he's about he's, my age. I, I'm, he, I'm 32. He's extraordinary. Uh-huh. Extraordinary, and uh, he he had a full scholarship, the most tremendous scholarship uh-huh. for the university from the University of Pennsylvania uh-huh. for law school. Wow! Everything paid for. That is, but because phenomenal. he was engaged to be married, uh-huh. and his wife was going. Um, to another school in another area, Boston was more convenient okay. for them to be together. So did he get a, a scholarship to Boston at all? No, he did not. But how could we stand in his way? Exactly. So he was accepted at Harvard. Well, and that's where... That ain't bad. He's in his second year of law school now at Harvard. So graduate. But better than anything, yeah. better than any scholarship, and I feel that way about my sons, better than any scholarship is the kind of person he is. That's right. Remarkable, remarkable heart, intelligence, um, and that's my grandson. And, and, and I have three other grandchildren. Uh-huh. Uh, who are also very, very fine human beings. I yeah. think. Well, I think they get it from someone, and I think it doesn't well, hurt that their their grandma is a, a phenomenal woman. Well, <laughs> I think you got a pretty. Believe good... me, their father, their father was uh, yeah. so mistreated, misjudged, mis your, everything. Your your husband. My husband. Yeah, and yet he was very smart too. It oh. sounds like I mean, it just you know, yeah. I mean, not to be humble or anything. I'm just saying, you know, you you uh, you obviously were a positive influence on in all this, and you are reaping the 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 lovely life that you have managed to pull for yourself. You know, and and of course, it doesn't take. You know, it takes more than one person to make a family, but it's still like you have have a lot to be proud of, and I can tell you're very proud of it. You seem to be very. You've managed to have a, it's a lot to be content about, and uh, true. yeah, and and that's the sort of thing that's worth living for. You know, yes, to see all this wonder happen. And I think in my family, <laughs> I feel so. Proud as if I had something to do. <laughs> now, now, Dor. Um, so there's actually you. You know that every Wednesday we say the Doris Sachs Grace. 
Yes. Yeah. Do you do you know it by heart or no? Oh yes. Yeah. Um, maybe you could see us out on that on this wonderful happy note. Because this this is um this is something I, I did an interview with Gil Gordon who who speaks it every time and he he you know he obviously as many people do kind of look up to you you because obviously you being the senior member here but also just in your your sharpness your articulateness and your way of life that maybe reflects how you become who you are and how you become maybe the age you are while while seeming decades younger. And so he he felt like it was important to be able to say this because it sounds like something that come from come from Let a, me from a book. Think. So Doris X Grace, Lord bless this. No, Lord, thank you for this for this loving place for, for the, the hands, hands that, that have, help for the hearts that care, care. for the, the good we have, we have for the food, food we, we share. share. And for, for the, the chance, chance to, to live, live and, and die, die with, with grace. grace. A blessed mealtime. <laughs> Thank you, Doris. It was a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. I hope I wasn't boring. <laughs> you know. Not at all. I can't see how my totally insignificant life, because I was told over and over, I was really insignificant, yeah. and who cares about me? Uh-huh. And um, and and look where you are now. You're and I feel that I was really extraordinarily blessed. I I think so too, and um, really, I I think you. I mean, you know it. And a lot of people look up to you, and um, and admire your perseverance and your courage and your and just you being you sometimes just if you make it to 100 years old just you being you you know (laughs) i get a lot of credit for being old (laughs) (laughs) really what did i have to do with that well but i i I see the thing is i think you do have something to do with that well i'm certainly very happy to have my life turn out the way it did, because not only for myself, but I do feel it's an encouragement to many people not to give up. Yes. Because you never, never know. Tomorrow might bring the most wonderful gift to you. And to have a sense of humor. Right? And to have a sense of humor. Oh, yes. Along the way. Yes. Oh, yes. That that's a big help. Okay. To be able, because it makes it lightens every day. That's right. To be able to laugh. All right. So uh, we'll take a shot of whiskey to that. All right. <laughs> all right. Thank- well, if you would like, <laughs> I happen to have some Bailey's Irish cream. Ooh, I I think I will. All right. All right. Um, I'll hold on. I'm gonna stop this. Bye bye. Uh, Thank you, everybody.